The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 349 Premium from Monday, August 22nd, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in some tips, we provide some answers, we all learn something new here from Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. You know, it feels like it's been a long time since we've been here, John, but, uh, but really it's only been a week. Um, I've been traveling a lot, and I've actually done a lot of different things since we, uh, since we spoke last, but, uh, but we'll, we'll wait to chat about some of those. Uh, be, that being my... My new iMac has arrived and I've set that up. Ah, yep. Excellent. excellent. And uh, 27 inch was it? 27 inch. Yep. Core i7, eight, you know, four cores, whatever. Um, but I, I want to, I want to wait a little bit to talk about that. And then I also, uh, and we'll probably talk about this in the next show. I've been playing with some of the new Sonos units and this is, this is, uh, frankly a ship that, uh, that sailed and, and I missed it and I'm glad to be on board. But, uh, but so that's the short answer of my review of, of all this stuff, but we'll talk about that in the, uh, probably in the next show, um, because we'll have a little more data. Sonos. If I, I just looked to manufacturer of multi-zone digital music systems. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's an in-home, uh, audio system. Correct. Oh, correct. Okay. But it's totally the, the right way to manage all your music. Uh, in your home. It's, it's awesome. But we'll, again, we'll talk about it in uh, probably, you know, th- uh, show three. Great. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. Yeah. It's cool. All right. Let's, um, let, let's dive right in here and let's go to, uh, to Greg. And uh, there's a couple from Greg. I don't know if they're the same Greg or two different Gregs. They are two different Gregs. So we'll start with, well, this one, uh, a bunch of tips here today, John. Greg says, here is a tip for people uh, uh, in Lion Mail. Uh, he says, uh, I prefer Mail Acton as well, but they have added, Apple has added uh, the ability to do something similar with Mail app, uh, but it's not quite as full function. That said, he says, Command 1 through Command 9 are automatically assigned to the first nine items from left to right in Mail's favorites bar. So if you press Command 1, for example, it will jump you to the mailbox that is listed as the first one. He says even cooler uh, is that if you add the control key to those shortcuts, for example, control command one uh, or control control command two for the second one and so on, you can move the selected message to that folder or mailbox. Now this is exactly what I use uh, mail act on for. I have a, uh, key sequence set so that whatever message is highlighted gets forwarded or uh, gets filed, moved to a specific mailbox. So very, very cool that Apple has added this, but I had no idea that these shortcuts existed. Did you, John? And you're, you're Mr. Keyboard shortcut. So if anybody did, I would expect it to have been you. Um, well, sometimes I am, but no, I, w- I was not aware of this. I, I'm still learning. I think it's pretty cool. Now, the same is true in Safari. Right. You can, uh, if you, you know, you do command four or whatever, I think it'll, it'll launch the, uh, the thing in the, yeah, it, that does work in Safari. Uh, 
but so I guess that's where that, you know, that whole paradigm came from because the shortcuts and the favorites bar are the same in mail as they are in Safari in terms of kind of the way you interact with them. So, but I had no idea about this control thing and never would have guessed that. That's, that's pretty cool. Now here's another, oh, go ahead. Well, he, well, he has another type at the beginning, which I think is a very quick one, but there go are ahead. two aspects to it. Well, he also says, here's a tip for in- installing Java. As most of you know, Java is not included in Lion. Now, you may not need it, and so it's probably a, a good decision on Apple's part. Again, a lot of people don't use Java. If, if you're using it or you need it, then you probably know that you do. But there are two options. So he mentions one, and, and there are two ways to do this. So number one... If you go in your utilities folder, you will see something. Now, he says it's called Java. I believe he means Java preferences. So there should be a Java preferences application in your utilities folder. If you double click on that, it will engage the automated, you know, the OS will say, oh, I can't find Java. You want me to install it? So that's a nice way to do it. But there also, I found there is an Apple support article where you can download the Java runtime and Uh install it. So the other way is nice because, yeah, if you try to launch anything that needs Java, the, the OS should come up and say, would you like to install it? Just like it did with Rosetta. Right, right. Um, but there's also a manual link. So, so I'll, I'll include that as well. Cool. All right. Uh, Greg, the next, next Greg comes along and he says, uh, uh, with regards to Ma- Apple Mail here, he says, uh, the mail program in Lion has a handy new conversation view, which shows messages in one long view. By default, mail only shows messages that are in the currently selected mailbox. For example, in your inbox or in your sent box, it will show all of the related messages in this threaded conversation view. This, however, can be changed. If you go into the mail menu, choose preferences and go to viewing under the view conversations header, click the box or check the box labeled include related conversations. And now what that does is it brings in everything from your archive mailbox and anything that's in that mail conversation. So even if you filed that message using the aforementioned tip, uh, you will still see it when you look at the conversation view, which can be handy. You know, if, like if John, if you and I have a, an email thread going back and forth and I keep filing the, um, you know, the, the, the versions you send me or the, you know, the replies you send me, but then I want to see the whole trail. Uh, I can click one of your messages and it'll go find them from, uh, from all of my mailboxes. So that's, that's a, uh, that's a handy thing. Thanks, Greg and Greg. Anything to add here, John, or should we, is it time to move on to. No, I, I like the, uh, no, I, I found as, as I use it more, it, it especially comes in handy with our uh, podcast. Yeah. Email management. I have noticed that, yeah, on occasion it will, I think, uh, strategically or intelligently hide things that it thinks you you don't need to see. Right. So this is a good way to to get the big picture. Yep. Yep. Uh, Okay. Barry writes, no one seems to mention this new capability of Lion on laptops. A new time machine feature is if time machine backup uh, starts, but you are not connected to your time machine disk, Time Machine will, in many circumstances, do a local backup to a hidden secure folder on the laptop startup volume. I had lost four gigabytes, and this is where it went. If you do About This Mac from the Apple menu and check under Storage in Lion, it will, there will be an entry on your disks called Backup. My startup volume showed four gigabytes here. Uh, this folder is at the root of the hard drive called dot mobile backups with capital M for mobile and B for backups. Uh, no spaces. Uh, it shows in the terminal, but it cannot be deleted. Uh, it took some more terminal food to stop this backup from happening and to free this four gigabytes. 
there's a there's a command that Barry talks about called tmutil in the terminal, and uh, there is an enable local option or disable local option. But if you just run tmutil from the terminal, you'll see all of the options. Uh, and this command can actually do some cool things, like list all your backups. You can delete certain snapshots from your backups uh, just using this command. I I don't know. In fact, I can check here. John, if TMUtil existed in, it did not exist in Snow Leopard. This is a new terminal uh. command in Lion. And some of these, in, including enable and disable local, need to be run as administrators. So you need to preface the TMUtil command with S-U-D-O uh, and then a space. And it'll ask you for your password before it enacts any changes. But, uh, but that's pretty that. interesting. Well, but, but you know, Dave, uh, at first I thought this was crazy talk. Because I, I, I've seen this, you know, as mentioned, if you go into uh, uh, about this Mac and click on storage, you will see a very iDevice like or iTunes like yep. display of what's in your hard drive. And, and I saw this. So I have audio, movies, photos, apps. But on my MacBook Pro, which I upgraded, and maybe this is the reason, so one of two reasons, but I see backups, zero kilobytes. Now, either it's because, and I'm speculating it's one of two things, either because I upgraded from Snow Leopard, or maybe because I'm using Time Machine Editor, which has edited uh, the Time Machine settings. So the, at least in my case, I, up, I I do it over the network to the time capsule every four hours. So I'm not sure if either one of those caused it to not be enabled. Well, remember, when you use Time Machine Editor to better control time ca- time machine schedule, uh, mm-hmm. The first thing you have to do is go into system preferences for time machine and turn time machine off. So my guess uh, is that by turning it off, you have now, you know, it's not doing anything. And and time machine editor is likely invoking its own script in, in mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in launch D or whatever it is to uh, to start the backup. But my guess is it's invoking a Snow Leopard style script uh, that, you know, is is just going to go and, and, and back up to your main destination. So that that would be my guess. Though. Ah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. So I think it's essentially doing a backup now. Backup now. Which, yep. In the background, which you can, of course, manually do right. whenever you want to. So uh, good observation. And of course, you yeah. But the, the problem is turning on Time Machine with Time Machine Editor is just a recipe for disaster and then, then it just gets carried away oh yeah so yeah so you know so I, I'll, I'll try this you know i bet you if i did this tm util and i enabled this then i i would see it i'll, I'll try it just for kicks yeah well yeah yeah there's that was or should i uh, i don't know do you want it to start taking up space on your laptop no <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah this is one of those things i mean apple you know they take up um uh, somewhere between four and 800 megabytes for the restore partition automatically on your boot up drive when you install lion or if you get lion by default. Uh, and then now, you know, here's more space on the drive taken up with, uh, with these mobile backups. I, I think these are similar to, but not the same as the versioning backups that are, that are also happening in lion with your documents. So what, what I'm curious about with these mobile backups and I don't have any machines where these have happened I wonder it, what it's backing up because Time Machine in its little uh, window says that it's going to back up documents. So I, I wonder if that's being specific and saying it's only doing documents to this local mobile store or if it's doing more hmm. than that uh, and it's just using documents as sort of a generic term for the average user and, and basically saying, don't worry about it. We got it covered. But either way, I mean, it's starting to chew up significant amounts of space. 
So uh, very interesting. Thanks for the heads up on that, Barry. All right. Uh, let's see. Leandro has, uh, he's got two things here. Uh, number one, he says, I use Dropbox to make all my documents on my PC at work available from my Mac at home. My, uh, on my iPhone and iPad. Uh, recently, Dropbox stopped working at work. I tried to access Dropbox using the web interface, and I got a message in my browser saying that the site was blocked by uh, my employer. I sent an email to the IT maintenance guy, and he replied that it was blocked because it fits into a category that could use all our bandwidth. Uh, and then he goes on and talks mm. about, he sort of rants about that a little bit, which is good. It's a good rant. But then he says, uh, uh, I know having an argument with this guy is pointless, so I didn't even reply back. Suddenly, my whole world came apart. It's bad enough that I have to use Windows at work every day. Now, I can't even use Dropbox. The solution is obvious, but it came to me only a few days later. I manually set the PC to use Google's DNS instead of my company's DNS. And Google's DNS is e always easy to remember. It is 8.8.8.8. .8 .8 .8. Uh, and then magically Dropbox worked again. I set Dropbox to uh, low download and upload limits just to make sure that I wouldn't cause any trouble in my company's network. Uh, I thought this tip could be useful to other listeners who may also be victims of uh, wow. similar IT departments. Okay, but wait a minute. I, this is interesting because it's a good solution, but it only works if the policy is being enacted as a DNS based policy. Right. Similar to, sure, sure. to those of us in our homes that, that use open DNS, maybe to filter out, you know, whatever you want, porn sites or, you know, various things. If someone has the access and is smart enough to use it to change the DNS server, you can bypass all of that. Uh, so that's one way of keeping users from getting to things you don't want them to get to. The other way would be to put a block in the firewall that says, do not allow access to this these lists of servers and you could put Dropbox's servers in no matter what you do with your DNS. If you don't have access to Dropbox's servers, you don't have access to Dropbox's servers. So if they do institute a different policy, this solution uh, that Leandro indicates here won't work. But I, f I do find a lot of times in hotels and stuff where they're doing weird redirects on browsers and that sort of thing, setting yeah. setting DNS to, to 8888. Uh, tends to sort of make all those problems go away. <laughs> you know, I like his solution. Now, now, the one thing that, yeah, just has me shaking my head as, as, as he was as well, is that if you look in Dropbox, in the preferences under network is a bandwidth setting, and you can certainly limit the bandwidth, both download and upload. Right. Well, you know, the other but it thing sounds is like it sounds like the admin was not open to a discussion of this feature. He was just like, up, oh, there's the potential, which I believe by default it will try to utilize as much bandwidth as possible. So I could understand the concern, but you can certainly set Dropbox to limit its bandwidth. Yeah, but that's only going to work. I mean, even if you have every user using 10% of your bandwidth for Dropbox, potentially you could still sure, sure. soak up your bandwidth. The smarter solution, if you do want to allow users to use it, would be to use your firewall and do some packet shaping and, right. uh, and, and say, listen, you know, traffic to and from Dropbox, maximize it at, you know, mm -hmm. these numbers. And then it doesn't matter how many people are using it. It's just going to automatically limit it uh, at the firewall. But that, again, would take more advanced uh, knowledge mm -hmm. of the firewall. Sounds like your IT guy took the easy way out with the DNS <laughs> filtering. And you might want to just right. not enlighten him if you want to keep using Dropbox. <laughs> No, you may figure out. Yeah. Now, the only other thing I'll offer, Dave, because I also noticed this in the Dropbox network 
uh, preference. And, and I've actually had to engage in such, um, I don't know if I'd call it deception, but creative problem solving. Sure. And that uh, when I worked in the, in the corporate arena many years ago, now believe it or not, there was a case where, uh, where I worked in the corporate arena where they, had, they authorized internet access on a per machine basis. Okay. The management was so terrified of employees wasting the day away on the internet, which right. to me, you can waste the day away with pretty much any piece of technology. It doesn't right. have to be internet. Right. But what would happen is you would have certain machines that were, and what they did is they did it by IP address and you had to get authorization from a VP and it was just ridiculous. I, I mean, I remember even speaking to one of these guys and he's like, why am I signing an authorization form for letting people access the internet? This is the future. This is, Helping people do their job. Sure, they can abuse it, but uh, anyways. So here's a creative way that some of us got around this. And, and this is another setting in a lot of programs. Not all, but it should be, is a proxy. And what yeah. is a proxy? A proxy is a machine that you can redirect traffic to. Now, some places will have what, what's called a proxy server where all people that want to use a certain network service have to go to the proxy server and then it goes to the big wide world. And that's certainly one way of setting up a network. I, I don't know of anybody that really does it this way anymore. Maybe for certain, certain configurations, it makes sense. But another thing that Dropbox has, and maybe another way to solve a problem similar to this, is to set up a proxy server somewhere else. So you say, you tell Dropbox, rather than going directly to Dropbox, well, no, go to this other machine on my network that may have more capabilities huh. and let it broker the conversation. Yeah. <clears throat> So just offering that, not, not encouraging people to, to break policies, but, but again, I call it creative problem solving in order to get your job done. That's right. right. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Leandro also adds to the tip category here. Uh, uh, this is for you, Dave. We all know how obsessive compulsive you are having the activity window on in mail on all the time. My gosh. Do you know about an app called Xlog? It puts the console logs as your desktop background. It's available in the Mac app store. And of course, we'll put a link. Uh, yeah, I do know about that. But, you know, that would distract me to no end. So I don't I don't run it. But uh, but it is pretty cool, actually. And, and and it is worth checking out. I don't know if you've. If you've seen that, John, but it, it's it's a handy way of always having your console logs just right there. So it's fun stuff. Xlogapp.wordpress.com, but uh, okay. but the link will be in the show notes. It will. It will. Uh, all right. More tips. This one is a, a follow up on a previous topic we discussed about mobile boarding passes and saving the picture. Connor says you can take it one step fur further and set the boarding pass screen as your lock screen photo temporarily. That way, A, it's always in portrait mode and B, if your iPhone auto locks on you, it's easy to get to this screen without typing in your 12 character numeric passcode. Or maybe that's just me. All right. So very cool, Connor. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the tip on that. I like that idea, actually. That's good. All right. Uh, and then to Lyndon to wrap up tips here. Lyndon writes, I just found out that if you double tap with two fingers on an icon in the dock in the lion, a list of the most recently opened documents appears. It works on both a trackpad and a magic mouse, but not on every application. So it must just be apps that support document uh, lions, you know, whatever it is, API that, that publishes that information. So very cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool stuff. All right. So John, you, uh, in our, in our pre-show, you started telling me about something and I said, whoa, 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 this is, 
this is too good. This has to be shared in the show. So go. So I had a tear, a tale of near woe and then a tale of redemption. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe not redemption, but you need theme so, music for this. <laughs> you didn't prep it. No. Mm-mm. So here's what happened. So love my iPhone and I like taking pictures with it. And like a lot of people, I use Instagram. So one, of course, you can use the built-in camera application to take pictures, but there's an application called Instagram, which is very, I think, Twitter-like. It lets you take photos. It lets you share them. So you can either take them with Instagram or share them from your your camera roll, from the camera app. And and that's what I typically like to do because sometimes I like to maybe crop them or edit them. So, and and it lets you share them with other people as well. So you can re, so in addition to sharing with your Instagram group, you can share with Facebook and Twitter and Flickr and, and a bunch of other things. Cool. But anyways, here's the problem. I took a bunch of pictures. So, so like most people, I'll take a bunch of pictures and then prune them because some of them just didn't turn out right or I just don't like them or they're redundant. And so I did this with, with a group of pictures that I took. And sometimes you can get lost in the camera roll and it doesn't always display the name of the picture. And I think what happened is I had a slip up and I thought, you know what? I'd like this group of four pictures. So I'm going to delete three of them and keep the last one. And I think I, I miscounted or just clicked the trash icon one too many. And much to my horror, I deleted the one picture I wanted to keep. Now, so this is, this is where I stopped you. Right. And, and said, mm-hmm. we got to talk about this in the show because this is a constant fear of mine with my iPhone. I'm the same way. I use it to take pictures all the time. Uh, and and then I prune through them largely because I use the HDR function in the iPhone and sometimes the HDR is the one I want and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not the HDR. But either way, I'm deleting a picture, you know, one way or the other. But I'm always horribly fearful about deleting one and then saying, oh, don't I, I need it back. How do I get it back? I can't get it back because it's not to my knowledge. Yes, you can't. but you can go. And I'll tell you. So so initially I thought, oh, no, is there an undo? so i tried to tap and i tried to you know i tried all sorts of wacky things did you try shaking the phone for an undo no because that's that's a good that's a good suggestion i mean i'll try this while you keep telling us how you got there yeah okay well i'll tell you how i got there so then i recall that depending on how you're you're how you're set up anytime you connect your iDevice it will create a backup in itunes now, the thing was, I searched and it wasn't clear to me whether the backup that's created when you sync your device contains what's in your camera roll. Okay. I was betting or hoping yeah. <laughs> that it did. But then here's, here's the gotcha. The problem is, is that depending on how you're set up, as soon as you connect your... So my thought was, okay, maybe my photos in the camera roll which I recently synced are stored in the backup that is made of the device when you sync it. So I was hoping that was the case and and I couldn't find information one way or the other through Apple or other people, whether this was true. So I thought, Oh, you know, let me, what if I try to do a restore, but then here's the catch 22, Dave. Is that if your device is set up that when you hook it up, the sync. Yeah. (laughs) So my problem was, all right, I can hook up my device and try to do a restore. But the problem is as soon as I hook up my device, it's going to launch iTunes and it's going to sync destroying the last backup. Well, you've got a little time to cancel it when it starts to sync. But even better, there is a keyboard shortcut. When you launch iTunes on the Mac, 
You yeah. hold down option and command, yeah. it will disable syncing. so that's what did it for me yes i I know that if if you're quick with the mouse and you see the sync dialogue you could probably click on the button saying cancel and it will not complete the backup but i i didn't want to take that risk but then yeah i did a a bit of google foo and i found that launching and, and it's actually it's a it's a option in one of the dialogues somewhere where uh, uh, holding down this key combination will check the option saying do not sync when this device is connected. So I think by default, mine is set up to sync when the device is connected. And then what happened is once I launched and it did not sync, I then did a restore and the pictures that were deleted were there. So the good news is that at least in my case, the backup of the device, I'm assuming by default, the backup of the device stores the photos, the current state of the photos that are in your camera roll. But in order to get them back, you had to restore and wipe out everything that was on your device. Yes. Okay. What about? Well, it, well, it didn't wipe. Well, it, it restored yeah. the last state of, of everything, which I assume is applications, photos in the camera roll, and, and some other settings. So it brought me back to, his, to the, what, the, the state that my iPhone was in, you know, uh, uh, an hour or so before. Okay. So, uh... But the photos were there. Well, once I went to the camera roll, the photos were there. And I was like, Phew. okay, I'm glad you saved them. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and be a so, bit more careful now on the delete. Go. So go. Uh, first of all, shaking the phone doesn't do anything after you've deleted a picture. Okay. So, it, so there is no undo for deleting a photo. No. I mean, it comes up and it says, whoa, I think it's a big red button. And it says, you know, delete. Are you sure? So yeah, but it's you warning know. you, but yeah, sometimes you get still. carried away or you're, you're on a roll. And yeah, and I was on a roll and, and you've been on a roll as well. Yeah. So, the, the good news is that it wasn't clear to me, but now it's clear to me that photos in the camera roll are saved with the last backup. Okay, so here's how you get them out if you don't want to blow away your current state of your iPhone uh, by restoring the backup to it. Uh, normally, I would go to supercrazyawesome.com and use their <laughs> iPhone. Oh, hey, man, it, this is super crazy. That awesome is super crazy awesome. Yeah. Uh, so they have a, a tool called the iPhone iPod touch backup extractor, and it does exactly what you would think, but it'll wow. let you get any data out of any of your backups that are there. Uh, they, however, say if you've lost your photos, uh, you can use a different utility that's much faster and easier to use than this thing called pic- picturesque. Uh, now, this appears to be a for pay app, but. Uh, but it also lets you browse your pic- your backup pictures like it's iPhone, like it's a, a iPhoto rather. It's five bucks. So uh, so we'll link to both of these things and uh, and and you can you can check them out. Oh, but great. My, Michael Johnston, of course, the uh, the the upstanding gentleman who creates the AAC version of this show. He's the one that first told me about super crazy. Awesome. So thank you, Michael, for telling me about that. Thank goodness I remembered it. And as always, thank you for creating the AAC version. We appreciate it. No, that's listeners appreciate it. So I, I was hoping that you'd probably have a follow-up to that either. Uh, now does this utility, because my one thought is that the backup mechanism in iTunes is rather primitive and that it's yeah. the last state when you synced your, your device, which in my case certainly did the trick, but right. You know, I, I'm thinking that there may be a need for a product, maybe like a time machine that, mm-hmm. that, archives multiple backups so you may want to go back in time say oh you know i deleted that photo a month ago gosh i wish i could get that back so um yep so but anyways so i was very happy i was able to recover the photo and and post it 
But that, oh, oh, just to be clear for all the listeners out there, that was only possible because you had backed up in between taking the photo and correct, yes. and then deleting it. Uh, now, of course, with iCloud, and and we'll use this to jump into the questions, and and we'll jump to mm-hmm. an iCloud question here. Uh, with iCloud, in theory, in, with all these pictures in the cloud and what they, I guess what they call photo stream, that uh, would hmm. not matter, right? Because you take the pictures with your iPhone immediately every picture is pushed into your photo stream uh, and then it's automatically synced to your, your other eye devices and down to your Mac. So in theory, you'd have more backups and actually be able to save yourself from doing stupid things. But that does beg the question. What if I do sit down on my iPhone and I go through and I delete 30 pictures that I don't want? Do I then have to go and do that on all my devices? I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm, I'm asking theoretically, you know, sort of rhetorically. Hypothetically, and yet, and you know, a, a little tangent here, Dave. Go, yeah, confusedly. There is another service that appears. Uh, I think it's similar to uh, to the upcoming feature that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But iFi recently released. So, so one thing they Actually, released the feature. That, that's a third thing that I wanted to talk about in a future show. Oh. I have an iFi mobile card now, uh, and oh. have experimented with with that. So with iFi View, yeah. Yeah, excellent. It Which keeps is, it for I'm, seven I'm sorry days. If I, no, sorry it's if fine. I stole your thunder. No thunder. No. Well, it, well, it keeps it for seven days for free, and then I believe if you if you toss them a couple of bucks, they will save in theory forever. Right. That you can save all your photos that you've ever taken, or yeah. or choose to tell the card to share with with the cloud. Yeah, it's it's actually a little more complex than that because you can have it share. To your own personal iFi, uh, what was it called? I, I forget the name of it. I don't have any of my details up in front of me, but this what? this iFi iFi view iFi view iFi right. view. Yeah, so it will put every picture up there, but it won't share them with anyone. They're only there for you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you then tell it also share these with Facebook or you know or Flickr or whatever, then it will also do that. But um, yeah, we we experimented with this. We put we put the iFi card in our D sixty. And we got the iFi mobile card. So I think uh, 80 bucks retail. It's an eight gig card. And it uh, and it's it was weird, though, because what you do is you when you configure the card, you configure it on your computer and then you plug it into your camera. And the first thing you do is you tell the card to attach to your home's local Wi-Fi network. Uh, And that's great. And you can then launch the iFi app either on your Mac or on your iOS devices, iPhone or iPad. And it'll automatically uh, you can have it automatically beam pictures as soon as they're taken right to your iOS device. And then, of course, your iOS device, if it's an iPhone, is also on the, you know, perhaps, a, a you know, another network. It can it can send things out. What's very cool is if you're not at home uh, and you want to get pictures mobily from your uh, camera to your iOS device, what happens is and you set some timeouts and that sort of thing on the camera. But the camera if it doesn't find if it is ready to send a picture and it doesn't find one of its known Wi-Fi networks available, it creates its own Wi-Fi network. And as part of the setup, you tell your iOS device, you tell your iPhone to use that network. So presumably, if your camera and your iPhone aren't attached to Wi-Fi networks, you'll take a picture. The camera creates a network. Your iPhone sees that and attaches to it and slurps down the picture. And then the mm-hmm. network shuts down. So that's very, it's very cool because you can just dump all your pictures to your device. But we found, and I talked to the iFi PR folks and I'm still trying to experiment a little bit with this. It worked, 
but it also totally killed both our camera battery uh, in, in less than a day, which normally lasts, you know, well over a week. Uh, mm-hmm. It killed our camera battery and our, our, our phone battery. So, and they say it should only impact the battery in the camera by about 20%. But uh, so I, I'm not sure what. Wow. The, yeah, but it's well, cool. I didn't know you were experimenting with it because I did. Uh, I'm actually looking now. So uh, September of last year, I did a review of their uh, X2, I think, right? The Pro X2, which yeah. was one of their first, uh, which that's the Cadillac, if you will, right. of their cards. I think right. the mobile is uh, has less features, but it's it, it does quite a bit, including what you mentioned. I think the ad hoc or the direct feature, I think that's what they call it, is that yep. it goes from the camera to an eye device and you don't need a base station or a computer. It just pushes them in there. But yeah, I guess the downside is uh, that can uh, that can consume <laughs> a lot of battery power life. and battery. Yeah. We're, so we got to experiment <clears throat> with it more and we will. Uh, and of course, I'll report back. But, you know, one of the things the um, the card has the ability to do is it will either send every picture that you uh, take, or you can have it only send pictures that you have uh, used the camera's lock function on. And mm-hmm. this is a function that nobody actually uses on their campers or cameras, or at least most mm-hmm. people don't. But that makes it handy, right? You can go through on the camera and say, okay, I want that one to my phone. I want this one. I want that one. And then as soon as you lock it, it does all the same things I just talked about and, and beams them over, um, but, which is cool. And then as soon as it's there, of course, it uploads it to the i5 view and you can see them all at i5 view. And sync down from i5U to your other devices if uh, if you so choose. So, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. But, you know, it's with the, iCloud is the reason I wanted to get one of these cards from iFi and start checking, you know, playing with it. Because with this, uh, you know, with, with PhotoStream, right now you get all of this kind of happening, not just from your iPhone camera, but from your, you know, big honking digital SLR or really any, you know, third-party camera that you want that uses an SD card. And that's pretty cool. So that, that was and to close out, sparked my interest in it. Oh, okay. And to close out iFi, I just noticed this. They just released a beta. So right now, their computer software is an Air application. There are some people that feel strongly about Adobe Air. I hate Air. I, I think it's the only Air application that I'm running on my MacBook Pro, and I'm okay with it. But they yeah. just released a beta of a native application. Really? No. no now, no. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll include the link, of course, in the show notes, and I'll even share it with you, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but now, no, it's a beta. And, sure. And I think we've warned people in the past. That I, I don't think this beta is, well, take it, take it as you will. Beta sure. means it's not ready. It, it could potentially destroy everything. I doubt it will, but it, it could. <laughs> So, but, but I think they're moving away from, from air because air has some issues. Uh, People accuse it of having memory leaks and security issues and uh, not so much security, but, but, but cert, or at least it polluted my console with security alerts. Right. Last I looked and I had to really dig deep to get rid of them, but uh, memory leaks and and all that stuff. I mean, it's easy because you develop an app once and you deploy it to multiple platforms, but I, I think they're revisiting the direction of doing a native Mac app. Oh, so there, there is cool. a beta out there. I'll yeah. If you Google foo or I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah, but, the um, link could be good. We but I find all these it. cloud photo services, I think, you know, have their place because yeah, I mean, sometimes you get that shot and you don't want to lose it. Right. Right. Well, and it's also, you know, so we, um, Lisa and I were up in Burlington, Vermont last week and I wound up taking a bunch of pictures of my iPhone. Like I always do. And then we'd get back to the hotel and I think, okay, I want to upload these to Facebook so the family can see or whatever, but I'd much rather do that process on my iPad. 
But, you know, I didn't have my computer with me, and I also didn't want to go through this whole syncing process. So I did. I got an app called PhotoSync that uh, lets you sync over Wi-Fi as long as the two devices are on the same Wi-Fi network. It'll sync, you know, from my mm. camera roll on my iPhone to my camera roll on my, uh, on my iPad. And oh, it'll do it. It'll really? do it automatically, and it'll only send the new ones. It's really cool. You know, it's great. And and obviously, you buy it once. I think it was two bucks or something. Uh, and then you put it on both devices. You know, because your account's the same on both. And and then it just works. So I would do that. I'd get back to the hotel. I'd beam all the stuff over with PhotoSync to the iPad, and then I could go through the pictures on the nice big screen on the iPad and and pick which ones I want. And then uh, what did I use? I used iLoader Plus. Uh, on the iPad, but it's an iPhone app uh, to upload batch uploads to Facebook, which is where I publish all the pictures for my family and stuff um, because it's much better than Facebook's app, which only lets you send one at a time. And that's really kind of pedantic. Have you tried, have you tried Instagram? Yeah. Instagram's weird though, because I can't create like albums and, and it wants to, okay. it, it's you're right. Weird. It does one offs. It does one off postings to, to Facebook. Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's not as nice. And it's also, it seems to me like Instagram wants to, its whole point is to use their funny filters on every picture. And I don't really care to use their funny filters. I almost no No, I, I, this gets into a whole artistic discussion. Right, it does. No, it totally does. Yeah, I'm not a no, photo I, 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 I rarely, I rarely use their photos. I just do the plain. I, I may okay. use sometimes Photoshop Express to maybe oh. up the exposure or up the saturation. Things that I could do with iPhoto or Aperture. Sure. But the filters to me, to me, they look hokey. They, they, yeah. they look artificial. Is yeah. it? And, and I think most of the people who, who I follow, and we're getting way into the photo thing, but photos are fun and we That's like fine. taking them, is... um. Uh, to me, uh, you know, it's hard. Some people think, you know, you take the picture with the camera and what you get is what you get. Uh, I would say that modifying, you know, maybe the exposure, if the lighting's not right or the saturation or a few things, the sharpness is okay. But then these filters to me, I think is over the top. I, it just, I personally, well, it's, it's quirky. It, if you're into it, you're into it. I'm just not well, they into say, it. Yeah. Well, they say, I mean, Instagram says it's a quirky way of sharing your photos, but I, I find that I, I typically don't enjoy photos because I, it just hits me. I'm like, well, you know, why did you apply that? What well, wasn't, you know, the original, and, and I see many original pictures that are, are fine on their own, taking with the, the iPhone camera. And sure. a lot of times I'm amazed. Well, I think it, it, it's really like, I mean, you said it when we started this discussion, it's, it's artistic choice, right? For me, my point is I want to take a picture and share it with my friends and family. And so I, I, I am not into it in it for the art of the picture. It is a documentate, you know, a way of documenting something I saw and sharing it with you. And that's it. Right. So for me, no interest in the filters, somebody else that, I mean, I've got an aunt that does amazing things with pictures that she takes mm. and, and she doctors them like crazy, but it, it's, you know, it's a whole, it's just a different, it's a different and, thing. And, and a final cool. point. Yeah. So, so what, one of my pals who actually he's, um, uh, Antonio, I think he, he's in uh, Brooklyn, New York City, and he's hosted some photo walks, uh, you know, and, and we follow each other on Twitter. And it's funny because he had a very interesting comment. So he's a, uh, I would say, professional photographer, but he made this comment. He said Instagram cr claimed that they have X number of photographs taken with their service. And he said pictures or images. Yes. Photographs. No. Well. We're not even going to go there. Brian writes. Yes, uh, that's that's with, splitting hairs, I think. Brian writes. <laughs> Sorry. With, with Lion and iCloud, I'm reevaluating our family's iTunes management. Now we all use the same account for our music. 
However, with iCloud and all the syncing functions, I'm wondering if we should get our own accounts. I'm looking for your advice. Will everything work well if we have our own Apple IDs for the iCloud services like contacts and all, but still share the iTunes ID uh, login so that we have access to music? What I'm trying to avoid is all four of us getting our contacts, mail and documents all muddled together and on each other's devices. Is it possible to create new Apple IDs for everyone, but still let each person retain their music purchases? On one of your shows, I think you talked about using home sharing for this, but it doesn't work for me. I can play songs from the other libraries, but I cannot put those songs onto my devices. Am I doing something wrong here? Once set up, everything will be better because the kids are getting into college soon and all, but I'm struggling to get everyone's stuff separated out without losing all of the purchased music. Okay, so here at home, we have our... Uh, right now, mobile me syncing uh, IDs and everybody has a separate one for that. So that my address book and my calendar and, you know, well, all that stuff doesn't get confused with my wife's or my daughter's or whatever. However, for iTunes music and app purchases, we all, we, we have two IDs that we use. It would be even better if we just had the one, but we have two, uh, Home sharing works fine. If you are able to play song and and I'm really talking about home sharing here, not just iTunes sharing. Uh, You have to go into iTunes and enable home sharing by going to the advanced menu, choose turn on home sharing, and then go through a process of authenticating with your uh, mobile me account at that point or your iTunes store account rather. Uh, at that point, you can then go do that on all of your machines to the same iTunes store account. It has to be the same. That's how this home sharing works. Uh, and then not only can you play the songs from someone else's uh, computer, but you can drag them over uh, more. Uh, moreover, you can uh, check. You can uh, highlight one of the computers that's on your home sharing network. And it, and you can go to I think you right click and go to or control click and go to options. And then you can tell it automatically copy over music, apps, books, movies, you know, whatever you want. You get to pick the categories. So home sharing actually works really well. And then, of course, once they've copied over to your machine, then you can sync all that stuff down to your iDevices uh, as you wish. So I, I and, you know, we, we haven't seen iTunes in the cloud yet. There hasn't even been a test of this out yet, at least not to my knowledge. Uh, so it's hard to say what's going to be the best option for that. But I my gut tells me sticking with the same ID on all machines is probably going to make that easier with iTunes in the cloud because everybody just has access to everything that that's my guess. But, uh, but we won't know, you know, until obviously Apple releases it. So that's, that's how I feel about that, John. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, while we're jumping around here, let's go to, uh, let's go to iPhoto. This is a, this is a common question we get, but it's a good one to uh, good one to go through. Tom writes, since I upgraded to Lion, every time I try to open iPhoto, a box comes up saying my iPhoto library needs to be upgraded. When I click on upgrade photos, it just quits the app. I've tried it several times. Same thing. Everything is updated to latest versions. Do you know the answer, John? Hmm? John. Hi. Yes. How, how you doing there? I'm doing great. Good. Were you thinking of answering Thomas's question? (laughs) I was paying attention. Okay. Just just trying to be funny. (laughs) 
All right. So this brings up a little known feature in iPhoto. And that when you, when you launch iPhoto, if you hold down Option and Command, you will get this rather comprehensive dialogue called Rebuild Photo Library. And what I suggested, and I believe he got back to us saying that this did solve the problem. I'm trying to remember which one of these he, uh, he, he chose that, that brought it back, but I suggested. So, so it has six options in this, and I suggested either repair the iPhoto Library database, which sounds like a good thing. Yep. Rebuild the iPhoto Library database from automatic backup. And, you know, I think that may be the one that he did. I, I think he may have had a corrupted one and that brought it back. And the last option is examine and repair iPhoto library file permissions. Oh, yeah. And then there's a few other that have to do with thumbnails and, and things like that. But that's a tip that uh, I, I think they really don't advertise. So launching iPhoto, hold down option and command, and you will get a dialogue asking you. You may want to click all of them. I, I Well, I don't know. What do you you know, I, I don't know if I check all of them. No, I, I, I think I, I think I would try them in sequence. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't repair the iPhoto library database and rebuild that same database from the backup. I do one or the other. And I do repair first. If that doesn't work, then, you know, maybe the permissions and last but not least, the rebuild is the last option. Yeah. So that worked. So. Uh, cool. There you go. It's good stuff. Work for, work for him. Good. Uh all right, we do have a question from Mike, I believe. Uh, Mike asks, I have a late, and this is, he's going to ask about Lion, but but this is really kind of a generic question, and uh, and we'll make the answer a little more, more generic too. Uh, I have a late 2008 15-inch MacBook Pro with the Express Card slot. I want to run Lion from a 96-gigabyte FileMate Express Card SSD drive and keep using Snow Leopard on my internal drive to run things that don't work in Lion, like uh, QuickBooks and my old copies of Word and Excel. Uh, to be fair, yeah, the old versions of Word and Excel won't work. QuickBooks, to my knowledge, works fine. I've been running it in Lion for a month. But anyway, there are, maybe Quicken is what he meant. Uh he says, I would mostly run Lion, I hope, and eventually switch over completely at some later point. Is this possible? Can I boot into Lion and do my usual tasks like Mail and Safari? But if I need to use QuickBooks or Word or something that doesn't run in uh, Lion, boot from my Snow Leopard internal drive. Where should I put my users folder? I suppose I would need to download Lion, but not run the installer and copy it over to the SSD to install it. Would you use migration assistant to move things from one drive to the other? Is this documented somewhere? Okay. So uh, in a general sense, John, you can do this. Of course, your Mac can boot multiple OSs at different times. That's not a problem. Uh, where those OSs are stored, as long as they are on bootable drives connected to your Mac, also is mm -hmm. largely irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And what those OSs are doesn't matter, again, as long as they are OSs that your Mac is capable of running. Uh, for example, you know, an iMac that came out last year uh, probably runs Snow. It certainly runs Snow Leopard and Lion might even run Leopard. Probably not going to be able to run like Puma or whatever the, you know, 10.2 was, right? So, well, I mean, it's just the way it goes. So as long as you've got, you know, you're not trying to do something that your Mac would be incapable of for other reasons, then yeah, this is fine. Where you're going to have an issue is if you start trying to use the same user folder for two different flavors of the OS at booting. If for whatever reason you had two different installs of Snow Leopard, you could point those at the same user folder. Might get muddy at some points, but... 
in a general sense, that should work. If you've got lion on one side and snow leopard on the other, do not point them to the same user folder. Uh, you, you know, mail it totally different file structure, right? All your library files, uh, your preferences, all that stuff. It, it's going to be different. And you really don't want to start confusing these things back and forth. Lion's good at grabbing them, migrating them to leopard to, uh, you know, from snow leopard and migrating them to, to lion once you don't want to start going back and forth. Snow leopard certainly wouldn't know what to do uh, if it saw a preference file that had, you know, been upgraded to whatever version uh, or whatever format lions apps are using. So uh, I would keep different user folders on both and, and really keep your tasks separate. Uh, you know, don't try to, don't try to just live in whichever one you happen to be in. I would pick a main one. And then if you need to boot to snow leopard, say to run quicken or whatever, do that, get your quicken work done and get out. Uh, and that, that, that's my, that's my advice. And then go back to lion and just live there as your, uh, you know, pick one as your home. That, that makes sense, John. Do you, do you, do you agree? I concur that trying to share a user folder among different OSs is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I think that's what you were saying. That's yeah. I don't know why you, you crystallize my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it may work, but it, it, yeah, as you pointed out, especially when you go between, between different OSs, apps will change their format. And yeah, it's just a really bad idea. Bad news. All right. Um, this is sort of an open-ended question, but it's a good one. Uh, Roger writes, uh, I wonder if you guys can help me understand why I might need or not need file vault under lion. I keep my quick and essentials files in an encrypted DMG file that has a different password than my startup logon password. In addition, when I load quick and essentials, I have yet another password for the app. I keep the DMG file in a Dropbox folder for backup purposes, along with all my other data files. I also use time machine once per day on an external hard drive and super duper once per week on another portable hard drive. The Quicken data is really the only file that I absolutely need to be secure. I recently read Lion has the ability to encrypt the entire hard drive uh, called FileVault 2. And since I do not possess the ability to leave well enough alone, I figured why not? More secure is better. I went to System Preferences, ran the FileVault procedure for the entire hard drive. While it did give me an encryption key that was sent to Apple in case I ever forget my password, I was never asked for a different password for encryption purposes. It ran the encryption procedure, rebooted, and finished a few minutes later. Nothing seems different, and now when I reboot, I get prompted for my login password the same as usual. My question is, what good does FileVault encryption do for me? Before I encrypted the hard drive, no one presumably could look at my hard drive without properly, log properly logging on with my password, and now that it's encrypted, it's essentially the same. What is encryption doing for me? Also, also is my time machine backup encrypted? What about my super duper backup? Okay. Uh, let's go through a couple Number of these things. One. <laughs> Number one. When Number one, the statement that he made that right. you must provide a password before you can get to the hard drive. That I think is the initial, I, I won't say, I'll say misunderstanding. Yeah. So because if I crack open that machine and I take your hard drive and I put or either if I can boot that machine in target disk mode or take your drive and put it in an external enclosure, I don't need a password to see all the data on it. Right. So, so I, I just thought I'd throw that out there in that the password, the login password does not protect normally protect the hard drive. That, 
that's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. The one thing that File Vault does, and this is the only thing that File Vault does, is it encrypts the data on your drive, all of it. And while it may appear that you're being asked for your login password the same as you were before, there is one very important difference. The place at the startup process at which you are asked for that password after you encrypt the file vault is much, much earlier. Normally, without file vault, you boot your Mac up. It basically boots all the way up and then asks you, OK, what user do you want to log in as? And what's your password? And that's assuming you haven't turned on auto logon. If you have, then it doesn't even ask you for that. It just lets you on. Uh, but with File Vault, it asks you at the very beginning because it cannot access your drive without you decrypting the drive with your password. Um, and it, John, of course, as you said, if in either in both cases, if someone takes the hard drive out of the machine, if it was a non File Vault drive, they can read all of the data on it. If it was a File Vault drive. They cannot read that data without decrypting it with your key. Um, so that that's what file vault is doing for you. Uh, is your time machine backup encrypted? Yes. Uh, with maybe, well with file vault it, on, it definitely is maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you why uh, you may be asking yourself, John, why do you, why do you, why do you keep saying maybe? (laughs) Well, because I looked on my Lion machine, Dave, and I went into time machine and I selected my time machine or time capsule. Yeah. And there's a little checkbox saying encrypt backup disk. And it was grayed out. But do you have file vault installed? I mean, have you, have you file vaulted your drive? And encrypt the uh, network volume. Just thought I'd throw that out there because I I, I was following along with this I think, question. I think I think you, I think we lost Skype for a second there. I, I asked a question and you came back in in the middle of a sentence, so I think we missed what you said. So go ahead. <clears throat> okay, what I said was I don't believe that you can always encrypt your time machine volume. I think that was the question, right? Right, but it's automatically encrypted if you turn on File Vault. All right. The only thing I'm going to say is that in, in Time Machine on my MacBook Pro that has Lion, when I selected my Time Machine volume, there was a box that said encrypt backup disk and it was unchecked and it was grayed out. And when I hovered over it, it said I cannot encrypt a network volume. Correct. Right. It can't. So I just want to I, I just want to toss that out that that's an exception to the rule. I think if it was directly connected, then yes, you're 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 you're, you're right. But. Even or you may or you may have to explicitly select it in time machine in the time machine system preference in order for it to happen or maybe not. I, I haven't tried it yet. No. OK, so you're right. You can't encrypt the entire network disk with file vault. But OK, um, if you have encrypted your local drive, right. uh, your time machine backup will be um Will will be encrypted as well, hmm. and I think. Okay. Where did you see that, John? Where did, that was in uh, in Time Machine? Is that right? Right in Time Machine, where you select the drive and then it lists the drives that are available. Yep. In the ones that I had listed, and the only one I had listed was my network, my my Time Capsule. Right. The encrypt backup volume or encrypt backup disk checkbox was unchecked and grayed out. Right. Right. That may because because it's not an encryptable disk. Okay, but it's just wanted to point that out. Right. But that's different than encrypting your backup, right? Because when 
It, when right. you have file, when you have a disk connected directly to your Mac, it's just dumping files onto it with Time Machine. It's not creating disk images or anything right. like that. When you back up to a network drive, it's not it's not doing anything to the disk. You can't do anything to a network disk. It's managed by whatever machine it's attached to. Uh, but mm -hmm. you are creating a sparse bundle out there, and that is encrypted. If you uh, if okay. your if your drive is um, if your drive is file vaulted, yeah, yeah. So two two different things, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, a local, but a local disk you can choose to encrypt locally because that's how that works. So yeah, okay. So that um, that answers that part of the question, um, and and I think it probably addresses. The uh, the whole thing. So, yes, your time machine backups encrypted. No, your super duper backup is not encrypted unless you set it that way. You can file vault that or you can uh, have super duper backup to a disk image that is encrypted, similar to the way time machine does it. Of course, time machine does it automatically. Uh, and I think I think that answers all of Roger's questions. Yeah. Is there anything sure. left unclear, John? It seems like there was some confusion here, but I think we've addressed it. Yeah. Okay. You, you're still confused. No, ask. Go. Because I've been no, using file vault. I, okay. All right. I'm pretty. I'm no, pretty I'm not confused. Well I, I just have. I just haven't yet enabled the encrypt backup disk feature. I just came across it while I was researching for the show. So. Okay. Okay. I have more more work to do to fully understand what that's all about. Yeah. Okay. So you will never. If you if you're using time capsule, regardless of the state of whether or not you're mm -hmm. using file vault, you will never see that box checked. And that's OK. Your time machine backups will still be encrypted. Because Wait. because you're not encrypting the disk, you're encrypting the image that you're 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 creating an image that is encrypted on the disk. Great. OK, good. You got it. Got it. I, what I have to say is, uh, you know, the. Only machine I have File Vault running on is an iMac over at the house. So it's a Core 2 Duo, 2.4 gigahertz or something with a regular stock from Apple mechanical hard drive in it. And the speed difference from before I installed File or activated File Vault to afterwards is completely unnoticeable. The drive is it, it just it runs just like I would expect it to run. It doesn't feel slow because of the encryption or anything. Uh, the only thing I noticed is, as I mentioned, it asked me for my password much earlier in the startup process, uh, obviously, because it has to decrypt the drive to start up from it. But otherwise, it, it was awesome. And it took this drive had maybe 200 gigs worth of data on it. And it took, uh, I don't know, less than a day, maybe eight, 10 hours to to encrypt the whole thing. And And then hmm. after that, it was totally... It's just, it just works the same. It's awesome. It, it's what, it's what we've all wanted. Right. And I, and I realized doing it on an iMac is sort of, uh, I mean, it, you know, not, not the classic use case. The classic use case would be doing it on a portable machine, but, um, but yeah, I highly, I, I recommend it. I, I think it's, you know, why, well, wouldn't, why wouldn't you do it on a portable machine? Well, it's what almost everybody wants. Almost. Except, except for our right. arch nemesis at the NSA. Right. That's right. So, yeah. So that's interesting. When you when you start up File Vault, um, you have the it creates what's called the recovery key. And that is the thing that will 
unlock your drive. They offer uh, Lion offers to to have that recovery key stored with Apple. Uh, if you don't store it with Apple and attach it to your your you know Apple ID or whatever, then even Apple cannot help you un uh, or decrypt your drive if you've forgotten your password or lost the key. But um, but of course, storing it with Apple does create a path for someone with you know a, a subpoena or otherwise to to go through and force hmm. Apple's hand to decrypt your drive. If you don't store it with them. There's no third party that can help anyone, including you. Well, do they, when, when, when they come up, do they display the key to you? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. You can so you could it. write it down. So Correct. it's a big hex. It's a big hex mess yeah. of something. That's right. Okay. So you can certainly do a screenshot or a photograph and, and store it. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I highly recommend you do that. You know, if you don't, well, who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, where are we on time here? We're, we've kind of bounced all over the place in terms of the agenda. I don't know. No, I, I forgot to. I we're we're to in an hour. Button, too. Not. Oh, you forgot to press the button. That's great, John. You, uh, you better have pressed the button. Or I, I did. I checked. I checked earlier to make sure that the uh, that the that the button was checked. Uh, Can we do? Uh, no. I want to vote for one. Oh, I, no. okay. I was going to do Denny because we've done, oh. we've done kind of, we've done a lot of these meandering ones. I want to do a couple of short ones. So, well, you know. the, the one I had was short. Which one? Well, Michael, the, the VM. Yeah. What? Okay. Everybody here, we're going to go ahead and do, and do Michael. Uh, I, I am, I am curious to see how Mr. Braun makes this <laughs> short. Let me get to the uh, sixth page of the PDF so that I can read Michael's question. <laughs> I can condense. Okay. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, oh, wait. Nope. I have to go to page seven. Michael writes, I have an October 2010 MacBook Air. Uh, I did a clean install of Lion last week. Since then, on three occasions, I get the running out of disk space message. I check about this Mac and storage, and sure enough, my 60 gigs of free space is down to 100 megs. Using Disk Inventory X, I found that the culprit was 100 or so swap files in uh, private slash var slash VM. I tried Applejack and a few other scripts, but alas, I cannot stop the creation of 60 gigs of swap files. I can delete the files, but they always come back after a reboot. Okay, John, go. All right, I'm going to make this very short. So <laughs> We're all looking forward to this. All right. So number okay. one, I asked him, could you please send me a listing of your, uh, is it um, private? Private VAR VM. That's right. Private VAR VM. Yep. As most of you know, that's where the virtual memory, which is when, when the computer runs out of memory, physical memory, chip memory, uh, it will store data on the disk in swap files. Right. And if you look in that directory, you will see swap files, zero, one, two, three, four, as many as the OS thinks it needs. So I said, could you please send me a, a listing of what, what's in there? And at first he sent me a listing and there was nothing there. And I'm like, well, what happened? Oh, I restarted my computer because of that, of course, that clears them out. Right. So then I said, when you run into the problem again, send me a listing. And I was shocked because there was not only swap file zero, one, two, three, four, there was like swap file 30. Oh yeah, and this thing was consuming, and and to me, this the, I have never seen this before. So then I offered a suggestion, and Dave, you helped me understand. Uh, so although my suggestion helped solve the problem, it wasn't the best way to but solve the problem. Nobody cares but it was, about your suggestion because they haven't heard it. Tell them what solved the problem. 
Well, I want to tell them the suggestion. So I said, you know what? Get, go to Activity Monitor, and there are columns here. There's real memory, virtual memory. I'm like, sort by virtual memory and send that to me, and let's see what it shows. And there was a winner in the virtual memory column. And what, what was it? Was it Reader? I believe it was Reader. R-E-E-D-E-R. Yes. Yep. So this is a piece of software. I believe it, it, it consumes uh, news feeds. It's an RSS aggregator. Yeah. RSS aggregator. And of all the processes on his machine in the virtual memory column, it was consuming, oh, about 20 gigabytes, which, has, as it so <laughs> turned out, corresponded with the amount of, of disk space that was being consumed. Right, so I so said, you know what? Why not? So, yes. So. No, go ahead. You get to the solution. Then I'll explain the, the, the solution. In so the solution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. So this was an approach. And obviously, reader was out of control. It was consuming memory way beyond what it should have. So I said, you know what? Quit reader. And he said, well, I quit reader, but, but I'm still have all these space. I'm like, wait a while. And he said, you know what? After about 45 minutes, yeah. all of the space was recovered. Everything is wonderful. So I think he may have gotten a beta because I looked at the, the, the notes, the release notes for reader. And apparently some versions suffered when, what's known as a memory leak, which is where a program will consume memory and never release it. And I think he may have gotten a beta or a version that just was out of control. Now, Dave, I'll hand it to you because what I was suggesting to him was not entire, was not the best way. It was a way to solve the problem, but not the best way. And I'll, I'll hand it to you to explain the better way to characterize this problem. Yeah, so it, it was, I believe, I thought it was a listener named Michael that actually pointed this out to me, but it may have been Scott. Uh, in Activity Monitor, virtual memory, so we're talking about these columns that appear uh, when you're looking at the process listing in Activity Monitor. And you can control these columns by going to Activity Monitor's view menu and go to the columns submenu, and you can check and uncheck the things that show up out here. Uh it's been so long since I've looked at Activity Monitor by default. Oh, actually, that's not true. I looked at it over the weekend on the iMac. But I, I think I think you get uh, percent CPU threads, real memory, virtual memory, and private memory show up. Uh, there is another column that you can add called real shared memory. And as I understand it, this is the column that shows how much virtual memory is actually taken up by this app on the on the disk. The virtual memory column is somewhat misleading because it shows the amount of memory. And I'm, I know I'm going to get this wrong, but I, I think this is close. It shows the amount of memory that has been reserved, but not necessarily used. So an app could, in theory, reserve, you know, several gigabytes of virtual memory but not ever actually use it. And so it's not going to make any difference on your disc. It's just sort of a, a, a theoretical uh, number that doesn't have any real uh, relation to the practical world, but the shared memory column, or as it's called in the, it's called shared mem in the, in the actual listing and activity monitor, but in the column submenu, it's called real shared memory. And that's the one that's going to tell you how much this is, um, this is taking up. And, and of course, as, as you pointed out, John, once you quit an app that is using up all this RAM, the system and and specifically the dynamic pager application needs to do some house cleaning. And that doesn't always happen automatically. You can force it to happen, though, by rebooting your Mac. That will wipe the slate completely clean. So so that's cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was, you know, 
about half as long as I thought it would be, but you know, far longer than the, <laughs> the other question we were going to do, but that's okay. Know. That's good. But in this case, it was so out of control that the VM column was the only one that had a number in, in gigabytes. Right. So, right. So it worked out. It, it didn't. Right. It, it, in, in this case, it, 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 the hint was there to point you in the right direction and that's all you're looking for anyway. So, yeah. Yep. All right. Whoa, the band. Hello, oh, band. Yeah, we got to get them in here somewhere. All right. Uh, you can, of course, send in your qu- tips, your questions into premium at MacGeekGab.com because all of you are, of course, our premium members, and we appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to explain this to you, Dave, but it's premium at MacGeekGab.com. Get it right. No, 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 no. It's, it's premium at MacGeekGab.com. You can also call <laughs> 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 4335. And, John, you can find us on Facebook. We can, You know, you're right. I, I just checked it out the other day. It, it, it's a swell place. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. And you know where else you can find us, Dave? Where's you can that? find us on Twitter. So the podcast is Matt Geekab. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. What else? Uh, Mac Observer. Mac Observer. It's Mac Observer. It's all at Twitter.com. And uh, uh, who? Oh, that, that Michael Johnston guy. Yeah, so we mentioned him before. Go listen to the We Have Communicators podcast. That's the one he does. And uh, it's a great show. It's all about the I- iOS devices and all that good stuff. So Cashfly, of course, provides all the bandwidth. Cashfly.com if you're interested in that. And uh, I oh, think that, oh. oh yeah, you got one other thing before we. Well, wrap one other up? thing. Well, well, we already know that you enjoy the show because you're a premium member. But well, iTunes comments are always welcome. We do like those iTunes comments. I think that does it for this week, John. We will be back on uh, Monday the twenty ninth. Yeah, Monday the 29th to wrap up the month. Until then, have fun and don't get caught.